You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Relationship Radio. How is January going for you so far? For many of us, it's very cold outside, and I don't know about you, but there is something nice about cuddling in during cold weather. Today, we are going to discuss the autism spectrum and adult autism. I had some questions from some of our listeners about autism, and as I read their inquiries, I recalled the patient I had years ago who was referred to me for what was called paralyzing social anxiety. And as I reviewed this patient's history and presenting concerns, I wondered if the diagnosis was even accurate. But before I give you the details, I want my audience to remember that all patients I refer to on this radio program are a compilation of patients I've had over the years No one I refer to is a current or past patient, and I have to occasionally remind us of this because I have to protect all patients' medical privacy and information. I want us to remember that all the female patients that I mention on this program are usually named Betty, and all of my male patients are usually called Tom, and I wonder if you're wondering why I picked those names. I just liked them for our assortment of radio patients. So it's Tom and Betty. With that said, my patient that I was referred to was a 16-year-old boy. His name was Tom because he had no friends, is why he was referred to me. And he had problems communicating with others and was so focused on a video game that he started playing when he was 13 years old that he had no other real interests. Tom never had a job. And as most 16-year-olds, he lived at home with his parents, and he avoided, like anything, engaging with anybody else. You might wonder if his parents thought their son was a little different and why they didn't get him help earlier than age 16. Well, Tom was raised in an isolated farming community. The school where he started considered him a problem and they weren't really equipped to help him. They just had no resources for that. So Tom's parents kept him home and tried to homeschool him to the best of their ability. Another factor in their decision was that Tom was being bullied at school, and they were not about to let that continue. And as a a clinician, I cannot tell you what bullying does to children. So in this regard, Tom's parents made some really good decisions. And Tom's mom did her best, but she didn't have experience with children who acted the way Tom did. And when Tom was 15, his father was transferred to a town that was much larger and had many more services than the farming community in which Tom had spent much of his childhood. And one of the benefits of Tom's 
dad's new job was a much better health care and much better health care insurance. It enabled Tom's parents to help him to get mental health services. And this is how Tom and I crossed paths. As I mentioned before, Tom was referred to me because a school counselor initially thought he had severe social anxiety. But Tom was brilliant in math, and his counselor described his mathematic abilities as exceptional. However, his school counselor found him to be awkward and uncomfortable with social interaction. So it would be logical to have a social anxiety diagnosis, but that is not what it was. After our meeting, I met with Tom's parents, and we discussed that maybe Tom actually had a different diagnosis than severe social anxiety, and they agreed to allow Tom to be tested. Tom's test results placed him on the autism spectrum, and if you don't know what that is, we have an expert coming up in just a second. I am not an expert in this area of mental challenges, and as I said, today we have with us someone who is. And before I introduce him, I want to say that I am so grateful that our culture has progressed way past where it was when Tom was born. So now I want to introduce Dr. Rick LaBelle, who joins us from Walnut Creek, California. He is the Autism uh, Spectrum Adult Specialist and expert at a national HMO, where he is a full-time psychologist. Along with being the autism expert, Dr. LaBelle also works in the medical center's hospital and emergency department. Dr. LaBelle has experience with an array of venues, including being a provider in a community mental health clinic and the California state prison system. Dr. LaBelle is experienced in the areas of dual diagnosis, bipolar disorder, and alcohol use disorders, clinical depression in adults, and adult attention deficit disorder, and we learned about that last week. It's my pleasure to welcome you to Dr. Ian's Relationship Radio, Dr. LaBelle. I have so many questions to ask you about autism spectrum and everything associated with it, and I know you are well experienced in adult autism, but autism doesn't just start in childhood, I mean in adulthood, and I hope you don't mind me asking you some questions about childhood autism as well. So for our listeners, first of all, welcome. And for our listeners, could you please describe the autism spectrum? Thank you, Dr. Ann. It's a pleasure to be here and have this opportunity to talk about this topic. It's growing interest in our culture. A lot of changes have happened in the, about five years ago with autism. Instead of having Asperger's disorder and autism disorder, it's changed, and now there's just autism spectrum disorder. The main categories of this are deficits in social communication and restricted and repetitive behaviors. This might look like for people, especially when someone is a child, it's more difficult when they're an adult to diagnose. As a child, a toddler, they may fail to respond to their name. They may resist cuddling and holding. They may have poor eye contact, have poor facial expression, delayed speech, uh, have an abnormal tone or rhythm speech. They may repeat phrases and may not understand simple questions and not express emotions or feelings or be aware of other people's feelings. That will be some of the problems in social communication. The other major area is patterns of behavior. Um, 
These would be limited, repetitive patterns like rocking, spinning, hand flapping, uh, biting or head banging. Any disturbance in routine or ritual becomes a major problem. Problems with coordination. They may be fascinated by details of an object, but not understand the purpose of the object. They may also be unusually sensitive to light, sound, or touch, and yet may be indifferent to pain or temperature. Another characteristic is they may not engage in imitative or make-believe play. So those are some of the basic characteristics. Well, well, Dr. LaBelle, that sounds totally overwhelming to me. And as a parent, I don't know what I would do with that, but I think we'll probably get into that. I, I also currently understand that one in 68 individuals are affected by autism spectrum disorder and that the average age for diagnosing a child isn't until four. And I also know that autism is more common in males than in females. So like one in 42 boys is diagnosed with on the autism spectrum and one in 189 girls have it. And when I found those statistics, I, I thought that was so unusual for our population, even though different genders have different propensities for different disorders. So autism seems to be a growing challenge in American culture, and I was wondering if you could comment about that. Yes, uh, more awareness of it, more people being diagnosed with it. About 10 years ago, it might have seen 1 in 110. Prior to that, you might have seen 1 in 400. As it's people getting diagnosed at an earlier age, it's becoming more prevalent. Uh, you mentioned the difference in the ratio of boys to girls, which is a fascinating topic. One of the things about autism is it's a neurodevelopmental disorder. What happens is all when the woman is pregnant, so it's all in utero, all these genetic changes that occur. So it's interesting, even though the incidence in autism is increasing, the ratio of boys to girls is still the same. There's some theories about that that I'd just like to talk briefly about. One is a genetic factor. Girls seem to have a protective genetic factor from the research to keep them from having autism. The other factor there is girls may be, more, and I'm stereotyping here, may be more easy to fit in and mimic their peers so they go unnoticed and they're not causing problems. But there's, so both those factors come into play. As the challenge that I think you mentioned is that this population ages. Uh, what I notice working with young adults and adults is people go to school, they have their programs in place in school, they do go okay, maybe they go to a college, maybe they go to a job, but after that, for many folks, the difference, the difficulty in living independently, and as folks age, and as the, can, you know, the parents pass away, what's going to happen? How is our culture going to support them? Now, those are interesting thoughts, and I've always been sad that they took the Asperger's diagnosis and put it into the autism uh, spectrum, because I think Asperger's, which is more social, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, um, has a different flavor than autism, but I guess if you put it on a spectrum, I, I understand the logic. It's just hard for me to acclimate to the new diagnostic changes, but... Um, uh, often, would you have any comment about that? Oh, yes. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Interestingly, Interestingly enough, we're using the DSM-5, the Diagnostic Statistic Manual 5, as far as these diagnoses. The International Classification of Diseases 10, which much of the world and many insurance companies use, 
still has Asperger's as a diagnosis, it becomes very problematic because many people became identified with that identity. I'm an Aspie. I'm different than everybody else. I'm neuroatypical versus everybody else's neuro, and I'm proud of that. So that was taking their identity away, as well as Asperger's doesn't necessarily translate into autism. So it's a very complicated topic there. Yes, and uh, I know that um, I have people in my life with Asperger's disorder and that they present very differently uh, than those, as I said, with uh, autism, who I also know. But Mm -hmm. I've I've also wondered, Dr. LaBelle, when we have to break in about a minute, um, are drugs a cause of autism drug usage? This has been so curious to me because I've known people who have no autism or Asperger's in their genetic history that they could, that they know of, and yet they have children who are either autistic or present uh, as they get older with Asperger's, and I'm curious about that. But I think that we need to hold the answer to this question until our break is over. So, listeners, we are going to be back with Dr. Rick Lavelle in just a minute talking about autism. Result of a good working relationship between the home buyer and their realtor. Make buying your Oregon home a fun and rewarding experience. Get our free guide to happy Oregon homeownership. Act now. Limited availability. Free at realorganhomes.com. That's realorganhomes.com. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not so fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. Listeners, we are back and excited to have Dr. Rick LaBelle with us today. He's a specialist on the autism spectrum. And before break, Dr. LaBelle, I was asking you if drugs, drug use is, is a cause of autism. I've often wondered about this and wondered if there's any linkage. That is a great question, Dr. Ann, and the cause of autism is certainly something that's being a lot of research being done about. I'd like to talk briefly about that. Uh, no, drugs and alcohol are not a cause of autism. And you mentioned before that people uh, can develop Asperger's. Well, currently the thought is it's all done uh, with the genetic testing that's been done. Everything happens, development in utero with the genetics. So nothing Mm -hmm. happens after that. There used to be a theory 
that mothers, especially the term refrigerated mothers or mothers who are cold, cause autism or Asperger's. Absolutely no truth to that. I've never heard that. (laughs) Yeah, it was very similar with schizophrenia. That was a previous theory that refrigerated moms cause schizophrenia. No, it's genetic. It happens in utero. Nothing people do cause that, including alcohol and drugs. Now, you mentioned that young man Tom before, Jack. And as you were saying that, something struck me. You said he was raised in a farming community. Mm-hmm. And uh, possible causes of autism are environmental, so p- things that people are exposed to that the mother might be exposed to. Air pollution, especially people who live near highways or industrial areas, the rate of autism is 30% higher than the general population due to air pollution. Wow. Uh, Tom, yeah, Tom, who grew up in a farming community, Pesticide use, especially crop dusting, is a, can be a cause of autism. So sometimes we'll see these isolated, seemingly isolated clusters of places where there's a higher incidence of autism, and now they're looking at this to find out this is why it happens. A parental age, especially the age of the mother and the father, especially age 45 or older, higher rate of autism. Uh, interestingly, interesting enough, a closer spacing of pregnancies, women who have babies close together, the rate of autism is higher, as well as extreme premature birth. Now, there's another factor is gene, the genetic composition to things, and the environmental interaction. All that other stuff would be the environmental interaction. And you mentioned before about your grandchildren. There is a genetic component to that, and that there is a certain inheritability of this as well, mm-hmm. too. And that's still a lot of research being done on that topic. Well, that's interesting because um, it raises another question for me, and I am not a marijuana use advocate, and I've done tons of research on it, and there are so many pesticides in marijuana, and I'm wondering, is there a possible linkage? And you might not even know the answer to that. That would, yeah, that would be the mom smoking pot, basically. Yeah, yeah. And especially have the usage of those things, yes. That could, again, that would be the pesticide thing. I don't know of any research specifically on that, but that's a very interesting, and I think there would be some truth to that. Yes, because all our listeners have to do is Google uh, chemicals in marijuana, and there it is, all these horrible things. So I've always been curious about that. Maybe you and I could do a research project. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, um, a while ago I heard that some people think that vaccinations are one cause of autism. Would you comment on that? Yes. This is something that is really important for listeners to understand and tell other people. Vaccinations are not a cause of autism. People are vaccinated after they're born, so it couldn't possibly cause autism. There was one study done by one doctor that showed, proved quotation marks that vaccinations cause autism that doctor's license has been suspended that study has been taken back there's no truth to that whatsoever and it's very dangerous because it could cause potentially a huge problem with outbreaks of measles and possible epidemics if people aren't vaccinated so something i feel very strongly about that people know the truth about that well, good, and that's comforting to know because I can't imagine what it would be like if something was going around and parents didn't go have their children vaccinated. Yeah, the data for that study was fabricated, and every now and again it resurfaces and this happens. 
It happened down in the South Bay of our area, really, in uh, San Francisco, South, South Bay recently. Really? Yeah, hmm. yeah. So, so that's a little scary. So, yes. listeners, if you are involved in autism spectrum, please do your research and make sure that the decisions you make are based on um, research that is validated, not made-up stuff, because there's lots of made-up stuff going around the world these days. I want to know, Dr. Lavelle, what signs should parents look for when suspecting there might be some type of disorder on the autism spectrum? These are things that I mentioned before, basically the yeah. areas of social communication and interaction, problems in those areas. So even from a very young age, a child refuses contact, a baby doesn't like to be cuddled, uh, says the same thing over and over, uh, as well as the behaviors like spinning, hand flapping, head banging. Any disturbance in a schedule is really difficult for people on the spectrum, even as adults. Any change needs to be forecast well in advance. So these would be some of the things, as well as having a specific interest and possibly an unusual topic. Many folks on the spectrum might have an interest in video games, anime, or manga. However, some folks might have an interest in trains excessively. I know one person who had an incredible knowledge and uh, samples of barbed wire. That was his interest. He would talk for hours about that if you let him. Wow. Well, um, that's pretty interesting, and I'm just, you may not know the answer to this either, but as an infant, if you have your little newborn, is eye contact a uh, sign that there might be something up or lack of eye contact? A absolutely. And like you mentioned before, it's not, it can be diagnosed as early as two to three eight years old, but four years old is kind of like the standard. But signs are noticed in advance by a mother, especially if a mother has had other children. She's more likely to notice, okay, this is not the way my other babies were. There's something different here. Vital important for that mother to work with, let her pediatrician know, and get that checked out right away. Well, I know many parents of uh, children who are on the Asperger's uh, autism spectrum. I'm forget Asperger's autism uh, spectrum. And they often didn't even recognize any symptoms. So I'm so grateful to you for coming on this morning and letting people who are considering having children or who have infants now know some of the challenges of that. And I think that one of the major symptoms of autism is that those who are on the autism spectrum will only eat certain foods. Would you comment on that? I would be happy to, Dr. Ann. I'd just like to touch back briefly on what you mentioned before. Um, yeah. One of the things with the new DSM-5 is there, there are different levels of autism spectrum disorder. So that's why parents may not recognize something at an early age, or an adult may come into our clinic and go, hey, I wonder if I have autism. Mm. Because the levels of difficulty, somebody might just require some support in their life at level one, at level two, substantial support, and at level three, very substantial support. So some people do go unnoticed and just curious as an adult. But to get back yeah. to your topic, yeah, but to get back to the question you asked about people on the spectrum will only eat certain foods, that can be the case. Um, however, people on the spectrum have an unusual sensitivity to senses and the environment. This can include food, and not might only be the color of the food, but the taste or the texture of food. 
these other sensory issues might extend to not liking tight-fitting clothing, so they may wear very loose, very baggy clothing because tight clothing just does not feel comfortable. Uh, tags, tags on clothing or wool or itchy clothing people might be very susceptible to. Blinking fluorescent lights, they might also be susceptible, as well as noises might be very extremely annoying to them. Hmm. Uh, of interest there, too, with the foods, uh, gastrointestinal issues, problems with GI issues, are much higher with folks that are on the spectrum as well, too, which can be another indication that somebody might have autism. So more things to look for if you're a parent. Mm-hmm. And I'm as, well, as well as adults, too, oh. they're curious. Well, I think it's curious that adults come in wondering if they are on the spectrum, and, and hooray for them, but I can't imagine what life might have been before we had these services to help them. Yes, and there's still not enough services. Like I mentioned before, as the population ages, it's going to be a problem. Because as folks, they're out of school, they're living with their parents. Uh, As you can probably understand, if it's just an adult child with their parents at home, the parent wants to get the child out working in life, get a relationship, get a life for themselves. But the the young adult just wants to stay at home, play video games. Yeah, well, I have many young adults not on the autism spectrum who want to do that. That's another show about the brain <laughs> damage true. that is now causing. So um, what types of testing should parents ask for or know about? Because I know that kids could take tests and, and get a diagnosis one way or the other. Yes. Um, first of all, if their parent notices anything unusual, working with a pediatrician. Um, there'll be some testing that's done, but just some general guidelines for parents. Before the child, if the child has a diagnosis of autism, before the age three, contact your local regional center to get services established, okay? Um, the other thing to do, before the ch- after the child is age three, contact your local school. Even if you don't plan for that child to go to school at public school but go to a private school, it's important to contact the school to get an IEP program set up so that child gets services. Uh, That's an IEP is an individual educational program, right? Yes, so that gets established so that child has services both in the schools and the regional center, even if they go to a private school. Uh, Autism Speaks, uh, that organization, autismspeaks.org, has great further resources. As far as specific testing, um, psychological testing that would be involved at age two to three, the gold standard for testing are two tests, the ADOS and the ADI. That stands for Autism Diagnostic Diagnostic Observation Schedule and the Autism, Autism Diagnostic Interview Revised. Those are the main ones that are used for testing. And somebody has to be specially trained to deliver these tests. Okay, well, um, we're coming up on a break, and this is so interesting. I'm hoping it's helping helping our listeners who have questions about this. And we will be back with Dr. Rick LaBelle talking about the autism spectrum. 
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, listeners, to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. We are so fortunate this morning to be talking with Dr. Rick LaBelle about the autism spectrum. And coming back to our the questions I want to ask you, Dr. LaBelle, are there other diagnoses that are mistaken for autism? Like Tom was, was diagnosed with paralyzing social anxiety, which really wasn't what it was. So are there any other diagnoses? Absolutely, and there are co-occurring diagnoses that occur as well, too, which further complicates the diagnostic situation, getting services for folks. One interesting medical co this is not a thing that's mistaken for autism, that commonly co-occurs is epilepsy. Mm. Uh, About 30% of people with autism have epilepsy. That's a very important thing for parents to know as well, too. But co-occurring psychiatric disorders, Some of the ones that occur are obsessive-compulsive disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, oppositional defiant disorder, obviously social anxiety, and also schizophrenia. When these co-occur, somebody has autism spectrum disorder and they're lower functioning, and you have somebody with obsessive-compulsive disorder, you have somebody who might fixate on something, and it's almost impossible to redirect them because of the OCD component, the obsessive component. So a lot of folks are mistaken and misdiagnosed, uh, I see frequently as I review their charts, with ADHD as children, and it's only as they age out that somebody goes, okay, this isn't just ADHD, there's something else going on due to the social interactions. And that's where the additional diagnosis of autism might come about. Same thing with OCD. Okay, so 
I think that's fascinating. I think it's another reason why we just can't rely on um, maybe school counselors to say this person's autistic. We need professional testing. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, because it can make such a difference in a person's life, both positive and negative. Person Now, people with Asperger's no longer have the services that they used to have, which is really a shame. If you had Asperger's and you were diagnosed that you're kind of grandfathered into having autism, even though that might not be accurate. But on the positive side, if I have that diagnosis, I am eligible for services. On the negative side, I'm going to be judged. People never thought negatively, really, of people with mild autism until the shooting in Sandy Hook by the young man with autism who was severely bullied. Yes. After that, the news media falsely propagated that people with autism could be dangerous. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Nothing. Well, there's another reason to be professionally tested, and uh, bullying is so damaging, and that's one reason why Tom, our uh, patient of the day, <laughs> who is a compilation yeah. of many of mine, um, was bullied at school because he was so different and it's a trauma. Bullying is yeah. a trauma. Yeah. I'm curious. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sure you know, Ann, and our listeners know as well, too, is that people in middle school, and high, they can pick up that person that's different and they become the target. And frequently because of their speech, their mannerism, their gait, or how they present themselves, people with autism become a target, unfortunately, and it's really a shame. It's very traumatic. I agree with you. And that's up to us parents to educate our kids about everyone's different. Some folks are present a little more differently than others, but everybody's a human with feelings. And I just, I... Can I say something here, Ann? Of course. You said, I could put a, you said I could put a plug for the nonprofit where I volunteer my time and I'm the head of the board, the chair of communication. What you just said is exactly what we do. Be proud to be who you are. Be Our organization called BoldlyMe.org, being proud to be who you are. And Would that's you my plug. That so go again? ahead. No, repeat boldly, that name again. Yes. BoldlyMe.org, with no space between the boldly and the me.org. A lot of good information online and support for parents and people who feel different on that website. Oh, I love that. Thank you for reminding me of that because I don't think I would have forgotten, but I might have. So I'm curious about what are the most frequent problem behaviors with individuals with autism? You've named some, but maybe you could review them and add if there are any more. Yeah, a big one uh, is, especially when they're very young, is sleep. Sleep problems are a huge problem with the population, problems going to sleep, which in turn causes problems for that child or young adult or teen the next day, as well as the parents who don't get much sleep as well, too. That's a big one, a huge one. The other one is coping with change, like we mentioned, changes in rituals, changes in schedules. Uh, for a child or a teen or even a young adult who's working, if there's going to be a change in the schedule, notify them as soon as far in advance as possible, remind them, and remind them again so they can mentally prepare for this change. Otherwise, they can have meltdowns, which parents frequently see with young children. Those are the big ones that I would note. Well, I think that's pretty huge because in our culture today where everything moves so fast, the changes in almost daily. So what a great tip for parents 
And actually, I think with little children, without Asperger's, Asperger's or autism, um, that could be very, very helpful to tell them what's coming up so that they can prepare themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you give us some tips on communication skills? What, what I mentioned uh, just previously was letting children know in advance of any changes. Talk simply in short sentences. Uh, visual language, uh, this population thinks and learns visually, which is a difference. That's part of the neuroatypical piece of things. So most of us learn verbally. They learn visually. So having schedules, especially people who might be uh, lower functioning on the scale, with what to do. How do you go to the bathroom steps? At school, what do you do? At home, what do you do in certain tasks? So visual communication is a huge piece there. Well, um, I have been on this uh, broomstick ever since I got licensed in 1901. That's a joke. Um, about visual, auditory, and experiential learners. And so many of my patients are visual learners. Learners, and that is why talk therapy has not uh, worked for them. But when I when I do a little outline in a picture form of what they've just told me, they go, "Oh my God, I'm doing that." Or when they experience something, and then they can really relate to it. So I think part of our culture and part of our educational system, and we are way off topic from autism, but I just want to say this is is missing the mark because folks have different types of learning styles. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. And so I wanted to ask, um, any tips on social skills for those on the autistic spectrum? It really does depend where the, what, how far down or far high the person is in the scale. Teaching the child what is okay to do, what is okay to in subject. Uh, the child, if the Lord may find pleasure... Um, you know, stimulating their genitals, and that's not okay in public. The parent has to tell them mm-hmm. that's a private thing. You need to do that in private. Teaching them what is okay to do in public, what is okay to do in private, what is okay to say in public. People on the spectrum are very direct, and they observe something, and they might be at a restaurant and see somebody who's very overweight and say, that person is very fat, and point to that person. Mm. To them, they don't understand that they should not do that. It's just a fact. That person is very fat, and I'm showing you that that person is very fat. So teaching them that that's not okay. Things like that. Well, yeah, I think we should all more, use that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this would be more the area of um, one of the mentioned uh, treatment uh, would be applied behavioral analysis, or, or ABA, would be really good, and that works with the child or the young or the teen, as well as the family. The parents have to be involved. And applied behavioral analysis services can be done through the regional center or sometimes through your insurance companies. Um, and an intense, uh, individualized education program in the schools, that would be the other things I would recommend as far as that. Uh, does every community have a regional center? Every county does, but depending on the county and the services it has available, it might be less or more. And Parents have to be the advocates for their children, just like in so many cases. You have mm-hmm. to push. Sometimes, you know, sometimes parents have to threaten legal action to get services, unfortunately. But the parents have to be the advocates of the child, gets the chance that they need to have, eventually in life, the best quality of life they can have, can have 
living independently as best they can with a good life for them. That's the goal. Okay. And what about managing behaviors? That would be the applied behavioral analysis. That would be far outside my scope because I don't do that. But those techniques, working with the child and the parents, uh, getting what behaviors are okay, how do you act in different situations. Uh, In the workplace, sometimes you might see folks at the checkout counter or courtesy clerks who have um, coaches at their work. They have supported uh, employment. So that would be another way that people can uh, have their behaviors managed. So if they have a problem, that coach can notice it. Or if they have a problem, they could ask the coach what they could do. Very interesting. Now, um, I want to know, if you look in the phone book, no matter what state you're in or what country you are, well, I don't know internationally, but let's just talk about the United States. So if you look in the phone book under regional center, is that how it's listed usually? I don't know, and I'm not sure if any how many of our listeners really use phone books anymore. Oh, <laughs> that's true. Okay, no, I'm dating myself. <laughs> <laughs> if you go on Google, and, and, if, and if you and if you don't have access online, I'm going to put a plug for your libraries. Your libraries are great; they have a lot of resources. Resources, a lot of books on autism. The libraries have a lot of books you can check out, as well as they have computers available for online services as well too. Okay, well that's helpful. And you've mentioned this, but I'm going to ask you again. What are the preferred treatments for autism? Just listen, for maybe. The behavior, for the behavior piece, applied behavior analysis. Many cases, medication might be needed to help manage moods or to help manage a co-occurring disorder like ADHD, OCD, or even anxiety. Uh, so those would be some of the things. Cognitive behavioral therapy can be very helpful for folks that are on the spectrum if they're able to engage in it. Like you mentioned earlier, individualized talk therapy is probably not going to be very helpful for a person who is on the lower levels of this because they're not going to be able to engage in it because of the concreteness of their thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I do at the HMO I, uh, that I was passionate about when I started there is I started a social skills group where people just go on a drop-in basis, adults, and get to know each other and to learn social skills. At the start of that group, we had a structured program with these lessons. We're going to learn this social skill, this work. And my co-facilitator and I at the time, we put together this great program, and we initiated it, and it failed miserably because it reminded people too much of school. It was better. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we did all that work on it, too. Uh, so it was better to let them engage, talk to each other, have one or two group members bring up a problem that they're having in their life. For example, how do I get a date? How do I get a job? I can't get to sleep. How can I do that? Really kind of common life problems for a lot of people. Other group members would have the same problem, and we work together and how they can do with skills they can use in those areas. Huh. Now, um, we're coming up on a break in about a minute, I guess, and, but I want to ask you, are there, you, you mentioned GI problems, but are there other associated medical or health problems for someone with autism? Yes, and I believe part of this is due to the genetic difficulties that occur. Higher rates of asthma, higher rates of eczema, higher rates of GI symptoms, as well as the uh, 30% seizure disorder in the population. Uh, are we at the break now? Yep, we're going to break, and we're going to come back with Dr. Rick LaBelle. Okay. 
Happy Oregon homeownership is the result of a good working relationship between the home buyer and their realtor. Make buying your Oregon home a fun and rewarding experience. Get our free guide to Happy Oregon homeownership. Act now. Limited availability. Free at realoregonhomes.com. That's realoregonhomes.com. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, listeners. We are here talking about the autism spectrum with Dr. Rick LaBelle, who is a specialist in it. And before the break, we were talking about medical and health problems for someone with autism, and we were talking about sleep and GI problems. Any others that you didn't name? I did, I did mention the seizure disorder. The higher percentage, 30% more people have epilepsy that are on the spectrum. However, a one, uh, one to parents, an EEG may be abnormal in people with the autism spectrum disorder for reasons we don't know. So just because a child has EE, uh, abnormal EEG does not mean they have autism. And I just okay. want to make that point. Okay. And then what are the signs of autism in an adult? Well, if somebody's on the moderate to severe range of the scale, level two to three, it's pretty obvious due to the behaviors, uh, the hand flopping, the self-stimulating, the stereotypical behaviors that occur there. Somebody is on the more mild to the higher moderate side, level one or the higher level two, usually a deficit in social interactions that's noticed. Uh, We mentioned lack of eye contact earlier, and many people may have learned to make eye contact, so they do it. But sometimes their eye contact might be odd and a little bit too direct. They don't know where to break and blink like neurotypical people do. Um, Mm -hmm. Socially interrupting uh, talking excessively about their topics. And one thing I do want to make sure is we have time so I can give people some additional resources that I've found very helpful in the series. So at the end, I really want to make sure we have time for that so people get more information on that, okay? Okay, absolutely. Um, what are the daily struggles of an adult with autism? 
uh, not having a daily routine for the most part, unless somebody is working or going to school, their life is very unstructured, and their parents try to make a structure for their life and it becomes problematic. The most important thing, I think, for somebody in the spectrum to have is the ability to live independently as much as possible, whether it's with their parents and working or doing something else or living independently uh, in assisted living, not assisted living, but a supportive skill development home is the term I wanted to use, um, and being aware that that child needs to have a good quality life doing different things. Just being at home is no good for any of us. Uh-huh. Well, in, in doing some research about autism, I learned that Dan Aykroyd and Daryl Hannah are on the autism spectrum. So having that diagnosis doesn't mean you can't be a star. And <laughs> you just discussed the various regions, and I guess they must be high-functioning. Um, yes, yeah, absolutely. This has become a more well-known diagnosis. Like many other mental health diagnoses, like bipolar, people who are well-known in, in the public eye or politicians are coming forward with those diagnoses, that they have those diagnoses to reduce the stigma. People with uh, autism can be very, very intelligent, as we see with some of the folks who are probably working in Silicon Valley who may be on the spectrum, as well as low-functioning. There's a great magazine put up quarterly called Autism Asperger's Digest. That's Autism Asperger's Digest. It's a great magazine. For folks, I highly recommend it. You can look at them online as well, too. Interesting. Oh, boy, I, I hope people go get that. And the other statistic I learned is only 17% of young adults on the spectrum between the ages of 21 and 25 have ever lived independently. And I want to know, from your perspective, is that true that most adults are likely to live with their parents and what happens when their parents die? That's a big question. About 50 to 60 percent of the people who have autism are living in some type of supported living, whether it's um, a skilled development home or with their parents. Most of them are with their parents. Really important for their parents to have a plan in place for this as well, too, and for the parents to work with the regional center. Uh, they have um, mental health services through their insurance, whatever services may be available there to have their child live as independently as possible and a plan in place. So, yes, that's very true that that is yeah. the case. Most folks don't live independently. So that needs to be the goal for parents, to have their coming adult children live independently because that way they yeah. can have their own life. Yeah. And the folks that are lower function spectrum, that's not going to happen, but you want to get them the best quality of life as possible. They're not able to live independently, but as much as possible is the goal. Okay, as much as possible. And knowing that there are differences in levels of functioning and that some adults have great strengths and others have lesser abilities, what are the challenges adults face in gaining independence? Getting and holding a job. We mentioned uh, before that the changes in routine can be very upsetting for someone that's on the spectrum. So as you can imagine, being in the workplace where things might change very quickly can be very difficult as well as social interactions in the workplace. Uh, one adult was very successful at his job, and his workplace required for some reason that every morning they have a one-hour meeting and half of the meeting was social interaction, getting to know each other. That was mm. torture for this man. <laughs> so mm -hmm. he was willing to come out as having autism in his company, and he asked for an accommodation. 
that he not have to go to that half hour of the meeting, attend the other half of the meeting, and work during the other uh, half hour. So that would be an accommodation that could be made in the workplace. Um, putting somebody in a, in a cubicle that might be far, farther away from people so they're not bothered by all the sensory stimuli going around them might be an accommodation that people can make, as well as in school as, as well, too. So these might be some of the things that might be helpful for folks. Part of it, too, is coming forward and saying, hey, I have this problem. And as I said before, there is a stigma associated with that. Okay, so let's talk about romance and autism. What percent of autistic folks are married, do you know? I don't know, but I do know that 5 to 10% of the people that are on the spectrum are in long-term relationships. And that's a, that's a great sign. Um, many of them may have children. Many of them are living normal lives, uh, facing the normal challenges that we face, plus additional sensory issues and social interaction issues. More of this is folks that are on the uh, higher functioning on the spectrum or folks who may have Asperger's. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm curious about what are their relationship like, relationships like and if their children are born on the spectrum? Not necessarily born on the spectrum, but certainly at a higher rate for folks that are on, uh, have parents who are on the spectrum more likely to have autism. A great book for somebody who was in a relationship on either side of the relationship is called Loving Someone with Asperger's. Loving Someone mm-hmm. with Asperger's by Cindy Ariel, C-I-N-D-Y-A-R-I-E-L, who is a psychologist. Great skills-based things, because people are on the spectrum, like we mentioned earlier, may have difficulty with sensory issues. So touching someone, holding someone may be uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. Making eye contact, looking in someone's eyes may be almost torture to them. So learning about that and working with that within the relationship. Yes, and because that's very different than, than people not on the spectrum, how they interact. And I want to say that over time I have more patients coming to me with challenges they're facing because they married someone with an autistic child. Would you comment on what challenges might be if they do that and how they could affect a marriage? It could affect a marriage greatly depending upon the people involved. And it also depends on the level of functioning that the child has, especially if they have an adult child at home. How high-functioning is that child? This could occur not only with autism. It could be Down syndrome. It could be some uh, other developmental disorder or physical condition that would cause that problem. So the very difficult to adapt. The most important thing for each person, is each adult, is to take care of themselves. See if you can find a support group for parents with autism spectrum disorder. The HMO where I work does have one... Um, City that has a support group for parents that have autism spectrum disorder, Autism Speaks, autismspeaks.org, would also give you information on local parent support groups as well, too. And the importance of the couple taking time out for themselves to be together, to do pleasurable activities for themselves, is really important. But it's a great challenge, and not just for folks with autism who might have a child with autism, but any developmental disorder, I think. So um, do autistic adults have to get permission to get married? Absolutely not. And like I mentioned before, there's uh, 5 to 10% of them are in long-term relationships. Interestingly enough, though, as you get down to the moderate to lower functioning, what people consider dating and relationships, uh, uh, terminology changes. 
Like one young woman I was working with, she has a boyfriend. And what do her and her boyfriend do? And I'm always aware that this is a population that's very susceptible to sexual, financial, and other types of abuse. So that's a really, because they don't understand those interactions, whether their actions are misunderstood or whether they can be victims of these is really an important issue. So I asked her more about this, and she and her boyfriend, they meet once a week, and they go dancing at a local dance place. And they're dating, and they're in a long-term relationship. And they're very much in love, and it's great. That's wonderful. I love it. I love it, too. Now, um, Dr. Liddell, you said you wanted some time to share something really important with our listeners. And we're coming at close to the end of our program, and I'm offering you the time. Okay. So, like I said, your local library has lots of books. Go to your local library and ask them for books on autism. Um, a great website for people who are on the spectrum, especially people who would consider themselves Asperger's, is wrongplanet.net. I love that name, wrongplanet.net. Wrong has lots planet. of, yep, run by people who are on the spectrum and lots of great videos on how to get dates, find jobs, employment. It's a wonderful, uh, wonderful website. AutismSpeaks.org is an autism advocacy organization in the U.S. that sponsors research and conducts awareness uh, aimed at families, governments, and the public. A wonderful writer and a person I would highly recommend people read is John Elder Robinson, R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N. His first book, um, Look Me in the Eye, was a bestseller. It talks about his experiences growing up on the spectrum. Great book, just a great book anyway, but really good book for insight. He's written a series of other books with his struggles as a parent as well, too. Um, a good book for employment, Asperger's on the Job by Rudy Simone, R-U-D-Y, Simone, S-I-M-O-N-E. Another Dr. great LaBelle, book. Wait, 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 because yeah? we're going to have to break, unfortunately. Okay. Our time is <laughs> up. You are such a wealth of information. I'm wondering if we could put that list of books on my um, hosting page. Would that be okay with you? Yeah, I'd be happy to give you that. Yeah. Okay. Well, listeners, there you have it. And remember, only you can create your world that you want it how you want it to be. Until next week, this is Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio wishing you a wonderful week. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.